Today we have a special honor and privilege of having Dr. Robert Provost come and I'll just tell you a little bit about uh, my acquaintance with him. I, when I was going to seminary at the Master's Seminary in 1989, 90 and 91, uh, he was... He was uh, executive vice president of the master's college and seminary for the first part of that and uh you know i was i was busy studying and and learning things and and one of the things that uh, was really interesting at that time is uh communism was starting to to fall in uh, october um, october 2nd of 1990 if you remember back then, a replica of the Liberty Bell was rung in Berlin, signifying the, the the unification of the two portions of Germany into one um, democratic nation. And so communism had fallen in Germany. But as we know now from history, that was not the end of it. It was contagious. And uh, people were were realizing it was time to quit you know, checking people at Checkpoint Charlie, and and it was time to start uh, letting these things down. That uh, communism had uh, pretty much failed utterly; it wasn't working, and that things needed to change. Well, during this time, uh, um, in in Russia, the, um, the the president there, uh, Gorbachev, was trying to hold all the united. Uh, um, Soviet states of Russia together and to keep them unified and there was a couple coups uh, if you remember they were trying to um, take over different groups were trying to take over the government and and uh, he was trying to hold it together but uh, just the whole um, ex- world excitement over what happened in Germany was just, just flooding into Russia and uh, it just became obvious that uh, yeah, communism had failed and it was over and so many of the states tried to uh, to defect and were becoming independent and by December 21st 1991 um, there was just a um, a large group I think 10 different uh, independent states had come together to form the Commonwealth of Independent States of Russia and uh, and, and ever since then, we've just uh, seen um, Russia struggling to regain composure just economically and all of these other things. But one of the great things that happened and when I was in seminary is to see the excitement of people who were involved in missions, especially to that area, to see what would happen in Russia. Because it had been such a closed country and, you know, persecution and you, you preach the gospel, you get killed, you get marched off to Siberia, you go to a concentration camp, your church, your house is taken from you, a family left destitute. It, there was so much persecution that it was just a, the thought of communism falling and falling so quickly was just beyond what anybody could dream. But God in his plan had created a huge spiritual vacuum there that was just waiting to be filled. And uh, when communism fell, um, key individuals, Dr. Robert Provost among uh, many were there to fill this vacuum. I remember in after he resigned from 
being vice president of the college and seminary, how he, he would come to chapel and just tell us what was happening. And it was with teary-eyed and great passion to just explain to us just how people were just, you know, about mobbing you to hear the gospel or to get a Bible or to even get a tract with anything religious on it. They were so hungry and thirsty for the word of God and for the gospel and to have any sort of hope. But of course, during that time, also the cults who would never risk their life to share their faith now were flooding in along with... uh, the the Christians who were trying to help the church and and so it was great just to see the passion and through the years um, to hear uh, Dr. Provo speak at uh, uh, different uh, shepherds conferences and different uh, uh, meetings uh, that I've attended over at Grace Community Church and and we are just glad that he is here this morning um, he has served as director of uh, European director of Send International he has a, served as uh, the executive associate pastor of a very large church so he has pastoring experience missions experience and and now he is uh, president of the Slavic Gospel Association um, and he is uh, focused on equipping pastors to to shed the spread the gospel to uh, help the orphans and the widows and the and the distraught with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to meet the physical needs and the spiritual needs and and just trying to undertake a, a, a task that is just far bigger than anybody could could hope to tackle but that God's grace is sufficient and he is um, doing great things and so Dr. Provost why don't you come up now let's give him a hand as he comes out Thank you, Dr. Hughes. I understand you've only been to Russia one time. I want to change that. I want to make that a lot of times. Thank you. It uh, it is a great joy to be here today. It's a church that uh, I have a great fond memory of. I don't know when I was here last, but I was here. Uh, I preached here sometime in the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, Maybe somebody here remembers that. Maybe nobody remembers, but... uh, (laughs) But by God's grace, I, I pray that uh, this morning will be a little bit more memorable if no one remembers at all that I've been here, right? So um, I have, I'm so full, always. I, I always tell our, our staff at SGA, we're, we're based near Chicago in Rockford, Illinois. I, and we, um, I always tell our leadership team and our staff that I just, I, I never get over uh, the, the fact that, that the Lord allows us uh, to do this kind of work. And allows us to, as a, as a mission, to be a, serve as a bridge between, between the Lord's people in the former communist world and the Lord's people here. We also have offices in Canada, New, New Zealand, Australia, uh, England, uh, and France. And, um, and what they do in all those countries is minister to the churches and help them get in on the harvest in the lands of Russia. Uh, and when the, the more the more the Lord allows us to work with the church, the more blessings are flowing in both directions. And our experience is that when churches in America get real involved with us in Russia, they always have revival here. Uh, and the more of their people that go over, the more we, we have some situations where we're taking whole choirs over, pastors with choirs. And they come back and the church is turned upside down because they have experiences they've never had before. Uh, they meet a quality of Christian that... that uh, that I've not met anywhere except um, uh, those that were um, those that were purified by the communists, uh, and um, 
just uh, it's just um, an amazing experience. We have now taken, uh, Dr. Hughes, we've taken more than 500 American pastors over to teach. Uh, and every single one of them would tell you that their life was changed. Uh, and they all keep going back and they just can't get enough of the opportunity because it's not only do you find an opportunity to serve the finest Christians that you've ever met. Uh, and why am I saying they're so fine? Because the Lord kept the world out of the church. I mean, if the, you know, they aren't distracted by, by materialism. They aren't distracted by pleasure-seeking. They aren't distracted. They aren't preoccupied with careers. Uh, the, all those things came from the, from the world. And then we, we got cooked like the frog. And we, you know, we, get, we, get, we tend to cons, get consumed, most of us as Christians in America, tend to, to have lives that are consumed doing good things to, at the expense of the best things. Uh, and uh, as a mission, we've been, we've been starting to do that getting consumed doing the good things at the expense of the best things and we're looking hard at what we're doing and we're realigning and uh, we're actually I'm going to say this prematurely in this session we just concluded a a leadership retreat on Friday evening uh, during which we we affirmed our new direction is to have a almost that we're going to work towards we can't do it all overnight we'll work towards a a full focus on helping the Russian uh, churches develop what we're calling Antioch initiatives. Antioch, the Antioch Church in the New Testament, far and away, there's more said about it. It was a, it, it was the, it, it was a church that that had a passion for reaching its region, a vision for reaching the world, had a capability of training its own its own um, uh, workers, men and uh, and uh, as church planners, as pastors for all the work they were doing, uh, and it had the, it developed a capacity to send their own uh, out uh, into places that hadn't heard the gospel and. What we need all over Russia is more churches like this. And we came to this realization because over the years, uh, the Lord has allowed us to help a number of these churches, probably maybe 10 of them so far developed that way. But while we're doing lots of other things, and we're saying, well, now with the leaders of, of the church in Russia, we're saying, well, gee, you know, maybe the Lord has taught us, first of all, in the Bible, this is the way we ought to do it. You know? Secondly, this is the way he's blessed our work together you know, over these 13 years. I, and, and it was like a wake-up call for all of us. Say, well, yeah, that's what we need to do. We need, we need, we need regional center-type churches that can do all of this impact, and then the ripple goes out, and they're planting multiplying churches, and it keeps going, and, and pretty soon we've reached 11 time zones of Russia. You know, that's, 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 our, that's our new strategy that comes straight out of uh, the first century, right? It's like, why didn't we think of this before? Well... Um, why, why aren't we doing that in all of world missions? Why, why isn't every mission agency doing this? I mean, that's, that's the biblical pattern. That's what they did in the book of Acts. The book of Acts isn't finished yet. We're living on the final chapters. We're privileged. It's, it goes on until the Lord comes for us. We're still in the same age. I, and and they, the, the apostles, the Lord, the Lord led the apostles, showed the apostles how to do it, and then wrote it in a book so we'd know how to do it. So we're committed to, to looking at everything we're doing and, boy, our whole ministry strategy, everything. Let's just, let's just not do anything unless we, any, any methods, unless we find authority for that method in God's Word, you know. And maybe we'll stop doing, I'm talking about our mission, we'll do fewer good things and more great things for the Lord in doing the things that, that He has uh, encouraged us to do. Well, in the first service, I talked about my first trip there in 1989, um, and... Uh, a lot of detail about what the services were like and, you know, believers that just were so contagious uh, and uh, um, so poor and so full of joy. Uh, to the conclusion that numbers of times when I'm coming back, I'm, I'm saying to my wife, and she travels with me a lot, is, you know, uh, I'm just more and more convinced with every trip that the happiest people, the most joyful people on the planet are the people who have the Lord and nothing else. And nothing else. Because everything else that we work so hard to get, 
you know, that, that all these good things all have a tendency to get in the way of a fuller relationship with the Lord. I mean, that's for all of us, right? But when you see the people, you see the people, it isn't they're better than us. It's that they, they had, they've had no upward mobility. They weren't allowed to get a higher education. They, they, they had no hope of getting a job that paid well. They, they would always be the lowest rung in the society because they needed the name of Christ. You know, they were never going to own a house, so they weren't reading the real, they weren't looking at going to visit model homes, or they were never, you know, they, they, they were never going to own a car, so they didn't have to worry about which car to buy next, Right? They, they weren't, weren't even going to get to go to a ball game or something, you know. They, they just could stay focused on the things of the Lord and their families. And families, family um, living, you know, to this day, and this is what's really interesting. In, in Russia, family values are higher even in the world than they are here. It's amazing. The, the communists taught and enforced moral absolutes including family values. You've never heard that before. Okay? It's amazing. There, there, is no, there is nothing, I don't want to call it a thing, but there's, I don't have enough vocabulary to say it another way. There's no entity uh, than in Russia today. There's nothing more important than a child. Nothing more important than a child. I'm not talking just in the church. I'm talking in, in Russia in general. Some of you are thinking, but I've heard of the abortion rate there. You know, the communists taught them back in the 40s or 50s uh, that, that abortion was birth control. Uh, just the you know, just the birth control method, and just sort of carried it off in a way that nobody realized they're killing the fetus, you know. And so abortion became a way of life there, um, uh, differently than here. Well, I'm I'm sort of scrambling around here because I have so much to say, and and um, can't have to pick what to say. I'm not going to talk about my first visits there in, in this service. I'm going to talk. Uh, I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, um, of ministry opportunities there and, and how the Lord has blessed even relating this Antioch kind of concept, the Antioch church concept. Uh, and, then there, and then the final 20 minutes or so, I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to look at lots of scripture together about the mission. You know, maybe notice that I, they asked me what title. I said, I said the title for my message is The Mission. The Mission. What is the mission? I, I've stopped talking about missions. I'm talking about the mission, and we'll start in the Old Testament, and we'll jump through a lot of verses, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, but I submit to you, even before we get to that, there's never been a topic in the history of the world of greater importance than the mission. And God's been talking about it in, in his word for more than 3,000 years. Okay? It goes back that far. And the better, better understanding and the better, better understanding we have of the mission, it radically will change all of our lives for the glory of God and for our greater blessing. Well, I, um, um, well, first of all, I, I want to uh, pick up where Dr. Hughes was. Uh, you, you did a great job. I need to get the tape. I don't know if you tape introductions here, but I, I, need, I need to get the tape of your introduction so I can use that in the future. <laughs> I'll say this. I'll quote you, you know, for the way you handled the transition times, the communists coming down. You did that really well. Uh, and I, I started to take notes, but I... Um, but I want to say, uh, related to that, um, those of you who can remember way back when, in December, November, December of 1890, eight, nobody remembers too much in 89, <laughs> do you? Even I can't remember 89, yeah. And, I mean, 1889. Um, but um, numbers of you here can remember... Um, 1989, November, December, uh, when the Berlin Wall was being brought crashing down. It didn't come down by itself. God brought it down, crashing down. Uh, to the total surprise of the whole world, 
The whole world was surprised. I remember I was flying a lot then, sitting next to people on airplanes. Everybody was talking about it. And after that, then it was a different country. Every two weeks, another country was falling in succession like dominoes, remember? Uh, and we're watching all this, and everybody's kind of baffled by it. And the guys just sitting next to on the airplanes and the women, uh, everybody's talking about it. Uh, and, and, and when you, I, I liked asking, well, how do you explain this? And fairly often you'd be talking to somebody who's not a believer and they'd say something like, well, you know, I'm really not a believer, so I, I, I can't say, you know, it's God's influence. But certainly they're, 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 the only explanation is there was a supernatural influence. You know? So the agnostics and the atheists were in their own way giving glory to God, right? Because there's just no, no other way to explain it. God brought that Im, 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 impermeable iron curtain crashing down in a matter of weeks. Then all the political things that Dr. Hughes talked about took a couple years to fall into place. Uh, but uh, if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 2 for a moment. Now, when, when Stalin was in power, we didn't hear a lot of sermons about how he was God's man. You know? Did we? But you know what? Stalin was God's man. No, no man or woman has, has ever and never will achieve political authority at any level on this planet according to the word of God unless God allows it, unless God permits it, unless God has a purpose for it, right? Even the worst. And now we look back and we see how God was using the communists, one, to purify the church. Purify the church. They purify. It costs so much to be a believer, nobody would dare identify with Christ unless they were willing to die for him. What a wonderful church that makes, right? Small church, but a wonderful church. Uh, number two. I say small because it, when the communists were finished, uh, we estimate one out of 10,000 born again. One out of 10,000. That's what they left. But one out of 10,000 precious wonderful believers um, who had won the respect quietly of everybody they knew in their community. People couldn't openly identify with them or they'd get in trouble too with, with, with the communists. But when somebody had a serious problem, they'd wait till after dark and sneak over to the Christian family because they knew they'd get compassion there. They knew they'd care. They knew that they could ask them to pray for them to the God that they, everybody was taught didn't exist, right? Christians had a reputation for never let anybody die alone. If there was somebody sick in their community or something, they'd be there. You know, they would be there. They were known by their love, but nobody could talk about it. And they were greatly respected. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, we read uh, verse, uh, last part of verse, or verse 20. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. Not only does, does he change, the, is he the author of who's in political power? He's the author of political regimes. Okay, like the communist era lasted 70 years. That's what he's talking about here. An era, an epoch. He removes kings and establishes kings. Now, keep those exact words in mind, okay? It is he who changes the times and the epochs. Now, Acts chapter 1, please. 
This is utterly amazing. And while you're turning there, I'm going to remind you that while this all this political change all came as a great surprise to you and me, the real surprise is that it also came as a great surprise to the Central Intelligence Agency, to the FBI, to the Cabinet, to the House of Representatives, to the Senate, and even to the President of the United States. And I, uh, I have in my background a time in military intelligence. That's where the Lord was preparing me in the Russian language. I have a degree in Russian, long before I was a believer, and then in that. Mil- but I have that military intelligence experience with a focus on that part of the world. And I know, even going back in my day as a young man, how much we knew about what was going on over there, and what we knew about what was going on over there in the 80s. We knew everything that was going on. We had those U-2 planes flying over. We were intercepting all their military and political communication, analyzing it. Sending reports to the to the government that uh, we had we had many people living over there as they had many people living over here, right? There is just no way. There is no way to explain how the president could have been surprised, and he was totally surprised, totally. But the answer is right here in God's word. Watch this, Acts chapter one. Uh, verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him. We have the Pharisees asking, asking Jesus. Saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Very specific political question, right? Very specific political question. Watch how he answers. He takes a specific quest- question and he gives a general answer to demonstrate a principle. And he quotes exactly verbatim from the Daniel passage that we just read he said it's not for you to know times or epochs right which the father has fixed by his own authority not for you to know when there's going to be a new regime like the communist regime when a political era is going to be over there are going to be times when there's no way you're going to be surprised you're just not going to know it it's not for you to know and that's exactly what happened. I mean, the Lord just made it so the White House couldn't figure it out, couldn't see it coming. Nobody could see it coming. You know what happened? Worldwide, God got the glory. Right? God brought it down. Must have been a supernatural influence. Even, even as I said, you know, even, even the agnostics and the atheists were sort of hedging on it, right? Who could have done it if there's no God? Must have been some other supernatural influence they're saying, right? Well, okay. Now I uh, look at the clock and recalculate what I, how I'm going to use the rest of it. Um, early on uh, in my privileges of uh, serving the churches in the lands of Russia, early on, uh, the president of the Baptist Union in Moscow, uh, because, because we had come to the church that the Lord had been purifying and we said at the outset, we aren't worthy to tie your shoe latches. And you have been tested and found faithful. We haven't even been tested. We haven't even been tested. 
We don't know how we can help you. But however we can, we want to do it. We want to serve you. So tell us your agenda. You've proven your faithfulness. And what you believe God wants you to do, we will try to get American churches like-minded of similar, of same doctrine to, to come alongside and help you do it. All for the glory of Christ. And that's, that's how our, my ministry developed since 1989. I, and so this, before long, we were having big pastor's conferences and taking Dr. MacArthur over and doing training this and training that. And, and uh, uh, they, at the outset, I said to them, what are your top three priorities? They said training, church planting, and equipping to make sure that the training uh, ministries and the church planning ministries have the resources and, and the Bibles and the books and the equipment, whatever they need to do the job. And I said, that's your priorities, that'll be our priorities. And it is to this day. Training, church planning, and making sure that the first two have what they need to get the job done. Uh, before long, the president of the Baptist Union in Moscow started sending me to places where he thought there was great potential, great potential, uh, if there'd be some help from the West. And so the first place he sent me was to a city called Krasnoyarsk, out in the middle of Siberia, a city we never heard of. You know, the Russians had secret... There, it was hard to get a map in the communist era that really even had the main cities on. I mean, we, there were big cities all over Russia that, that central intelligence agencies knew about, but the, but, but the church in America didn't know about it. And this was one of those cities. This was a city of a million people out in the middle of Siberia uh, that the main industry of, uh, was so secret that the factories were underground, the factories were in tunnels and mountains, and that's where they were, they were building weapon systems that they were going to do us in with. Okay? And I, he took me to this city, and, and I checked into the hotel, and it was like uh, we never had an American here before. You know, you aren't supposed to be here. This is a closed city, you know, etc. Never forget, the first night in the Central Hotel and in Krasnoyarsk cost 27 cents. And it, it was it was almost worth it, you know. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been in hotels uh, where it wasn't worth it, you know, that were that cheap. Um, but um, introduced me to a church. This church had been there for quite a few years, and it had been planted by a pastor who had been sent there to die in a labor camp who had led a murder to Christ and two of them had founded the church. In fact, the church is all over. You go from Moscow East. When you go Moscow East, the churches that were planted through the communist era were all planted by people who the communists sent there to die somewhere. And as they're going there, say the Lord has a plan. You know, the communists are sending us, but they don't know the Lord is sending us to, to preach the gospel in these communities. We, they never, who would have gone to Siberia unless somebody made them go, right? You know? It's all part of God's plan. And so met, took me to this church. They're meeting in a, the, typical, the typical Baptist church. Um, and we'd all be Baptists if you were in Russia because that, we didn't have so many different kinds of churches, right? We didn't have independent Bible churches. We would all be Baptists. Uh, and um, took me, the, the Baptist churches all were in little houses on the outskirts of Tan. I don't know how big the city, because they weren't really supposed to have a building. And they weren't allowed to really have a church building. And so somebody in, some, somehow the, the people in the church would, would gather money and they'd buy a, a house in one of their names. Uh, and then when nobody's looking, they'd take out all the walls and put up some pillars to hold up the roof and that would be the church. Okay? 
That's all over how they did it. And they were always painted green. I don't know why. And they always, they always are called a house of prayer. The Russians would never call a church, a building, a church. Because, you know, the Bible is real clear about it. The Bible, for, in the, the Bible, uh, church means people, not building. And where do they get the word house of prayer? That's in the Bible. You know, it's a house of prayer. Malitvanidon, it's called in Russian. Uh, and, and, but it'd be odd in the outskirts of town, hard to get to, walk through muddy, rutted roads or alleys or just, you know, as obscure. Uh, and so it took me there. This little house, that there were 350 people squeezed in for Sunday morning service, standing everywhere, standing in, in some rooms upstairs and just, you know, an incredible spirit, just on fire, just unbelievable. I mean, you just drop back into the book of Acts. I mean, there's no doubt. You just, somebody wiped out 2,000 years, how'd I get here, you know? Where's Paul and Peter, you know? Uh, it's just the way, what you felt like. Uh, and um, they had a vision. They'd, they'd gotten a piece of land to build a new building. Didn't have a penny. Didn't have a penny which is standard, okay? They didn't have any money, nowhere to get any money, but God had granted freedom, and we need to build a, a real house of worship. And so they had this phenomenal architectural plan for this cathedral, and no money. Well, I came back and shared it with the elders at Grace Community Church, and, and they started giving money. And the people there did all the work themselves, which they usually do to build a church building. You know, they, the main thing they need is a kitchen. They need a kitchen, uh, and, and the women in their 80s can still cook. Women in their 70s do plastering and things like that. But the women, <laughs> women in their 80s cook. And, and it's phenomenal food. If you, ever get to go to a, if you ever get to send a work team to a Russian construction site, a church construction site, I mean, they'll come back raving about the food because, they, you know, they, they really they didn't spare. They put the money in to feed them because the better they feed them, the more they'll work, you know. They'll be able to have that strength. And so, uh, and so they started and they build a phenomenal. It can only be described as a, as a, you know, it's a, it's a 14th century European cathedral built in in the early 90s in the middle of Siberia, up on a hill looking down over the city. I mean, just the perfect location. And across the street from it uh, is the Communist Party new construction that was underway at the same time when they collapsed. And there are two or three buildings that are half built sitting there empty, you know, like a ghost town. And across the street is this glorious you know, temple, really, for the worship of Christ. Right? Well, that church started to grow, and pretty soon uh, it has a 1,000 members. Well, the first priority was training, so we started sending people over. We helped them do a full-time training center. In fact, um, a church from Spokane uh, sponsored it, a new church in Spokane. Chris Mueller was up in Spokane had, had was planning a church, in a, and they didn't have a building yet. They were in a high school. They caught a vision for it, and they, and they, they, they put about $100,000 a year into this training center in this church to train people. Well, we trained 49 men, and those 49 men are all over in area of Siberia, that's as big as half the United States today with churches all over the place. It's like 30-some 30, 30 churches now and another 30 groups that are forming churches. You know? it's, it's an Antioch church. It's an Antioch church is what we now want all over. Or there's another place um, called, uh, in, a, in a place called six, just 600 miles north of, of Moscow on the Trans-Siberian Railroad, but not into Siberia. It's a place called Kurovich-Petsk. Kurovich-Petsk is a smaller city. They took me there. second place they took me was there. And, and um, it's a, a city of 100,000 where there was not one believer. Uh, and a, a young woman got saved. And she was so on fire, it was unbelievable. She just shared everywhere. And just went nuts sharing. And people started responding. And lots of professional people. Uh, and before they knew it, there was a church. And uh, the guy who had led her to Christ, when they were at a, for health reasons in another part of Russia, they coaxed them to come and teach them. And they brought some other young men, brought a small choir. Pretty soon they called him to be their pastor. 
That was in 1992. I went there right after it was starting. They were meeting in a house of culture uh, with a big statue of Lenin out front. Uh, and uh, um, that was 92. Now they have 30-some churches planted. And we started doing these training centers, a full-time Bible institute for a year with American pastors going over and teaching. Uh, and we've done that four times in that location. And we're sending, they're sending men now to other states as well from there. Uh, and this is, this is a region that at the outset, not only the city of 100,000 didn't have even one believer, but in a state bigger than the country of France, there was only one church. And the communists had nearly eliminated it. All the, all the elders and deacons had been killed. There were just uh, you know, about 30 widows left. Uh, and uh, that was it in a state as big as France. And now that state is just being reached. I mean, it's unbelievable, the hunger. We, um, we took a singing group there from Moscow. We sponsor a, a singing group in Moscow. Took them up there a few years ago for evangelistic meetings in January. And the evangelistic meetings were held in, in different towns uh, in public halls that weren't heated in January. And it was, you know, we're just a few um, close to the Arctic Circle. And it would be as cold outside as inside as outside. And you would have people come. A whole, whole building would be full of unsafe people. And they'd come for a two-and-a-half, three-hour meeting. And the temperature in that cement building is, is between zero and five degrees. Can you imagine? They're just so hungry. Uh, and responding to an invitation to repent uh, of their sins and trust in Christ as Savior as Lord. And, and then come and take New Testaments home. And that's where the churches begin in these kind of meetings. Uh, and, but I've got to tell you... I'm going to tell you about an experience in a baptism in that place um, that gives you an idea what kind of faith we're talking about here. And when I say the more your church would get involved, how revival would come here. Let me just give you one illustration. It's about three years ago. I was scheduled to go there for a baptism. Normally they have baptism because it's, it's uh, because there's still ice in the river uh, in May. They normally wait till July to have baptism, right? And I couldn't come in July. And so I was coming in, in June, and, and the pastor, the leader of this movement, is a, a younger guy. When he started, he was about 30. His wife and all his kids had been killed in a wreck, and he was on his face saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord raised him. He said, he said you've taken, you've, you've taken, you've, you've taken my, my most valued possessions. You've taken my wife and my children. Now you've got my attention. I'm ready to serve you. Well, it's this kind of humility, this kind of resolve. And the, the guy who's leading this whole movement is the guy I just described, okay? He just he had that kind of faith. He said, Lord, you've, you've seen fit to take my wife and my children in this accident. And he was, wasn't there. His brother was driving the car. Uh, and he said, now you have my attention. I'm ready to serve you fully and with no distraction. And the Lord raised him up to lead this movement that I've just described. So he met me at the train station Thursday morning. He said, well, you know, it was cold and rainy. I mean, big, just, it was about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It was raining. Uh, and the wind was blowing. It's Thursday morning. Baptism is scheduled for Saturday morning. It's the first weekend in June. There's just been ice in the river. I said, Anatoly, I said, you've got to cancel this baptism. I said, just, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, you shouldn't do it. People get sick. Nobody will come. You know, it's just not wise to do it. He said, oh, the Lord, we're praying. Everybody's praying. The Lord's going to change the weather. I, and uh, so Friday morning, we get up. It's even worse. You know, Anatoly, you've got to cancel the baptism. No, nope, nope. The Lord's going to change the weather. Saturday morning, we get up. It's even worse. Anatoly, you know, you've got to cancel this. You've got to get the word out through, you know, through your prayer chains. Cancel this. No, Robert, we, we, I, I don't have any peace about doing that. We need to do it. People are excited about it. They won't mind the weather. We're on the way driving to the church. We pick up some stuff before we go to the river. Anatoly turns to me and he says, Robert, 
He said, last couple of times you were here for baptism, you preached. I think it's time for you to get in the water. <laughs> I said, but Anatoly, I, I don't have any, I don't have any clothing. He said, I have it for you at the church. So we go down. I said, I said, by the way, we're driving now. We left the church. We're going to the river. By the way, how many, how many people were scheduled to be baptized? Eighty-four. Um, he said, but you won't have to baptize them all. We'll have four men. They'll each baptize 21. You'd have to do it simultaneously because otherwise it'd be the whole day, you know. So we get down to the place where we always go at the river and the men are behind this bush changing into their white robes and the women are behind these bushes. And, you know, you can't see them. I mean, they're thick bushes, so you can see it's, it's okay. Do you, it's cold drizzle, rain, wind blowing. I mean, it's sort of chilling cold, you know, that you just can't get warm from when you come in. And we're, we're outside, and we're going to take our clothes off and get in this water, right? That probably still has ice in it, and um, little bits. Choirs there sang wonderfully. At least 600 people showed up to stand in that weather to watch the baptism. You know how many of the 84 scheduled to sh- for baptism showed up? 84. 84. These are people serious about what Christ means to them, Right? We, um, some Anatoly preached and we got in the water. We had to be out about 40 or 50 feet because the river is real shallow, so you have to go out real far until it's deep enough so you can do the baptism. And we're out there, four of us, and the four, first four come out. There's some older ladies. I'm thinking it's going to kill them, you know. I mean, I mean, serious. It's not funny. I'm worried about this. And by the time the candidates get out to where we are baptizing, they're in shock. I mean, they're just like this. And you're asking them if they have repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, and you can hardly understand their answer, you know. I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, this is just what it was. And and what I'm going to say next, you know, I will go to my grave not understanding, and I sometimes I'm reluctant even to say it. But there's a great harvest going on here. When, there, when God is pouring out his spirit in a special way, we, we, can't, we, 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 can't, we can't say he can't do certain things, okay? Do you know what happened? The four of us that were in the water were in the water for 45 minutes. The people who were coming out to be baptized were in the water to get out to us probably 30 seconds, and by that time they were like in shock from the cold. The four of us that were in the water doing the baptizing never got cold. Never got cold. Did Anatoly know what he was doing? Was he following the Lord? Absolutely. I mean, it was a glorious day for the 84 who were baptized. It was like they didn't even notice the weather. There's another experience I had like that, and I'll try to say this one quicker. I... I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade, okay? But as I've grown in the Lord, I'm convinced that that's not, that's not the New Testament way to do it. I, and uh, kind of early on in the freedom over there, I, some, of the, some of the pastors in some of the areas were, would press me to come and, 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 and be an evangelist at a stadium crusade. And finally, one guy pestered me so much that I finally said, okay, I'll come for one meeting. So I went to this town called Nikolaev, down on the Black Sea, where they make the nuclear submarines and where they... They wouldn't let us stay in a hotel because we weren't allowed to be there. It's still a secret city. Uh, and um, he had scheduled a small football stadium, um, 25,000 seats. It was for Saturday evening. He had three choirs there and a couple orchestras. And, 
Uh, and um, I got there a little bit early and planned how we're going to do it. Uh, and people were coming in. And when we started, it was 6 o'clock in the evening. When we started, it, it wasn't filled or anything. There was never anything spiritual done in this city before, uh, publicly. And But 8,000 people did come. And 8,000 people were all sitting on one side. And they had a platform out in the middle. The platform was, was kind of like um, like Crusades are done in America. You've been there, you've seen them on TV. You have a platform out in the middle, and the choir's there, and the orchestra's there, and the speakers are there and everything. And they had it set up like that, a big sound system. Uh, and so... Um, pastor came up and welcomed everybody and began the program um, one of the choirs started singing just a glorious choir choir number and in the opening anthem black clouds came in I mean just like came straight in just just you know filled the place it started to pour down rain and before the first anthem was over, thunder, heavy thunder and lightning. And the lightning was like right in the state, right in your face. I mean, it was incredible. And pouring rain, pouring rain. Choir finished. Orchestra started to play, and the orchestra started to make a few funny sounds because some of those instruments shouldn't be in the water like that, you know. <laughs> uh, and and then, then another choir number. <clears throat> and the pastor came up and said... And I had a couple young guys with me, and the pastor had said, you know, well, why don't you let them preach too? So they're preaching. One, These two young guys that had just finished Russian language training that were on my team. I, and when they're preaching, they're holding an umbrella like a lightning rod, right? And I'm sitting back there totally not with this. I mean, all I'm thinking, it was like the baptism, is, Pastor, can't you see God has canceled this program? And I looked down at my feet. It's pouring down rain. We're just drenched, and my feet are sharing a, a puddle with 220 volt wires and I'm thinking you know either we're going to get struck or we're going to get fried or you know I mean this is really dumb pastor why don't you cancel this uh, and uh, finally it was my turn to preach and the Lord took the storm away for the wimp uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, and I had I had a message totally manuscripted I mean I it was it was it started with it was so heavy on sin it was so heavy you know I, there was no way I would get even somebody would think about this easy believism approach here or something. And I was prepared for nobody to respond to my, because I had so many hard sayings. I mean, I was prepared that nobody's going to, somebody's going to get saved here today in this setting. You know, it's, it's going to be God because it's not me because this message is not appealing. You know, well, finished my message. They gave me a long cord and I could walk over to where the people were. And I gave an invitation for people to come down and, uh, and um, repent of their sin against God and, and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. 3,000 people came down and I led 3,000 people um, in a prayer of repentance. Can you imagine? They sat. forgot to tell you, almost nobody left. I mean, these are unsaved people. Unsaved people that stayed with the thunder and the lightning and drenched. Okay? It's a harvest. God, there's a harvest in Russia uh, waiting. Well, it's because of uh, what God said to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Please turn there with me. It's my introduction. Dr. Jack told me I could go to 1215. I had to say that. Sorry. I, so in the first service, he said it publicly so I could blame him. I, he didn't say it publicly this time. So sorry, Dr. Jack, I have to blame you. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's about 3,400 years ago, the scholars say. And to Abram here, God unveils his plan and his promise to bless all the families of the earth. It is still his mission today. It is the mission for us, for you and me. I submit to you that it's not about missions. It is the mission. It is the mission. There is nothing more important ever in the history of the world than God's plan to bless all the families of the earth and all that that implies as we get into the New Testament and understand more about it. Uh, In Genesis chapter 26, uh, God affirms his plan and his promise to Abraham's son Isaac, uh, where we see verse 36. I was going to skip it, but I won't. I'm sorry, it's not verse 36. It's beginning in uh, verse 3, halfway through. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. This has been God's focus from then until now. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The key is obedience. Then over in Genesis chapter 28, verses 14 and 15, uh, God affirms his plan and his promise to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. He says, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. There'll be so many of them like particles of dust. And you will spread out, and here's the strategy. You'll spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. This poor young guy, Jacob, must have been blown away with such an assignment from God. But God is quick. God is compassionate. God is quick to say, but behold, but don't worry. Don't worry, Jacob. I know I've just given you an impossible assignment, but it's through you that I'm going to work. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. He was going to have to go lots of places. He was scared. And God's saying, you don't have to worry. I'll be right with you. You're never going to go anywhere. I'm not going to be there with you. And we'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Well, it almost sounds exactly like Matthew 28 at the very end, and I hope we have time to get there. And then if you turn over to Isaiah chapter 49, this is one of my passages, favorite passages in all the Bible. One verse We estimate about uh, 2,700 years ago when um, God gave the prophet Isaiah an opportunity, we don't know how, to have a glimpse into the throne room of heaven and to, and to write down for us what he observed. And here's, where it, here's what he observes. It's a conversation going on between God the Father and God the Son. Uh, and God the Father is talking to God the Son about the plan he has to send him to earth. And what he wants him to do on earth. Watch this. It's incredible. 
And he says, verse 6, It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. He, he's, he's, it's, it's a given that, that he's going to help Israel. Okay? He's going to help Israel, God's chosen people. Uh, but God said, but that's not enough. That's not enough. I'm going to send you there to do much more than to help Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God unveils his plan and his promise to include his son as the key person to achieve his goal of blessing all the families of the earth. This is one of the most remarkable passages in the Bible. Isaiah was given this privilege of observing this conversation in the throne room of God between God the Father and God the Son. We might call it the Father's great commission to God the Son. And then a few pages over in Isaiah 52... Isaiah explains that God's plan to bless all the families and all the nations will require that he sacrifice his son in a horrible death in payment for all the sins of all the families and all the nations that he intends to bless. That's beginning verse 13 of chapter 52. This is one of those typical little, three little verses that, that, uh, that are all over the millennia. The first verse hasn't even happened yet, prophetically. Uh, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. He's talking about Jesus. At that time, still in the future, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then verse 14, he's looking, looking forward in prophecy, although it sounds like it's past tense, it's not. Uh, and he makes a comparison between the suffering of the people of Judah in their Babylonian captivity and how horribly they would suffer in the, in, in the Babylonian captivity, but nothing compared to how the Son of God would suffer when he comes to earth. And he says, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. And then verse 15, he explains what all this suffering is for. Thus, he will sprinkle many nations through that most horrible death of all time He'll pay the penalty for the sin that will sprinkle, that will cleanse many nations. Then he looks ahead uh, as he continues to principally to the millennial uh, kingdom yet to come. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see and what they had not heard they will understand in this tremendous uh, prophecy of, of a harvest. Now would you turn over to Romans uh, Romans 15, please, with me, where the Apostle Paul quotes this passage. Romans 15, beginning uh, halfway through verse 19, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Illyricum, the Apostle Paul's talking about where he's been preaching the gospel. It's like I've been everywhere. I started in Jerusalem, but I've been everywhere, even as far as Illyricum. Illyricum is Albania. Albania is the nation that in our time became the most atheistic nation in the history of the world. The, the only, the only uh, communist government that was successful to eliminate all churches, all believers of every kind. I mean, they eliminated, they, they, they were, they were 70% Muslim, eliminated all of them. They were 20% uh, uh, Orthodox Christian, eliminated all of them. They were, they were 10% Roman Catholic, eliminated all of them. And the handful of, of evangelical Christians were, were, were 
We don't know what happened to him. When we first went to Albania, we couldn't find any. No known believers in the whole country. Uh, they put the, the, the Albanian dictator put into the Constitution. No nation, no other nation has ever done this, that there is no God. The Constitution officially says, we declare there is no God and citizenship requires atheism. Okay? No other government ever dared do that. They did it. They did it. Uh, and uh, the Apostle Paul, it's interesting, himself had been to this country, this little country in Europe, in his own missionary journeys 2,000 years before. Uh, and he says, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. And uh, and then uh, talks about not building on others' foundation. And then he quotes the Isaiah passage. They who had no, but as it's written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He's talking, he's applying the harvest of his experience Okay, in the first century using Isaiah's prophecy that has a primary intent, I believe, in the millennial kingdom, which to me authorizes us today to look at the harvest in the former communist countries and apply this same passage. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. We saw that happen. I mean, that's what happened when the wall was brought down. All those kings' mouths were shut on account of him. To get elected to political office in Russia today, a man or woman must pretend they're a Christian. Okay? I mean, must name the name of Christ. They don't have to be born again because, you know, many Orthodox and so on. But they have to name the name of Christ. That's how it's been changed, even in our lifetime. And the harvest that I'm describing, this kind of harvest that continues today. We started with one out of 10,000 born again. Now we're up to five out of 10,000 born again. Okay? That's all that's progressed in 13 years. But if you're into statistics, it's a 500% increase. That's tremendous. If your church was five times bigger in 10 years, that would be great, Right? But what if in this community, uh, there there were there were five million people right here? I don't know what the population of Burbank is. But what if right in your your, your vicinity there were five or ten million people, uh, and only one out of ten thousand of them were born again? But all the rest were trying to get saved, but there was nobody to tell them. How how would you reach them as a church? That's the dilemma we have in the lands of Russia today. Okay, they're, not, they're just not. It's it's uh, horrendous. Well, now I, I I'm finished. Going to finish a little different, um, Pastor. Pastor Jack, I, I, I um, but I don't want you to lose sight of the mission. Okay, it's the mission, uh, right, right down to the end. Then the next thing that happens is, is uh, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says he's going to build his church, and nobody's going to stop it. The communists couldn't stop it. Uh, the fascists couldn't stop it. The Muslims aren't going to stop it. Nobody's ever going to come along that can stop Christ from building his church. But, he's, but in the process, in Matthew 16, uh, he. Uh, the Son of God and soon-to-be Savior begins to unfold God's strategy. All the families and all the nations will be blessed through something called a church. Okay? And nothing nor anyone will be able to stop it. Uh, and, then, and then in Matthew 28, uh, after completing the purchase of all the souls of the families and all the nations that he will bless, purchase those on the cross, the risen Savior gave instructions to all his disciples beginning with those who were with him. And here's how it'll work. They don't even turn there for the sake of time. He said to them, here's the instruction he gave to the disciples. You will, you, you will go to tell all the nations. You will win converts. You will baptize them. You will teach them all that I've taught you, including what I'm saying right now. And fifth, I will be with you and help you all, do it all until I return. Okay? Until the end of the age. You know what that means? That means we have the same status as those who were in his hearing being included in this. This instruction is just as much for us as it was for them because when he, said, when he promised to be with 
with them, with his disciples, until the end of the age, doing this, helping them. The end of the age didn't come yet. The end of the age won't come until he comes in the air for us, okay? That's how important these words are for us. Same as if we had been there, right there, intended for us, we will answer for obedience. In Acts 2, the church was born on the day of Pentecost in a manner that strongly stressed the importance of all the nations having a part. When you think of day of Pentecost, you think of tongues, right? And we argue about tongues. And the point isn't to argue about tongues. The point is that, that God let them all hear from all the different nations they heard what the apostles were saying. Were saying. They heard in their own language. And thereby, at the outset, the church was born with, with a miraculous recognition of its mission to the nations in all the different languages. Is that phenomenal? Okay. And then all throughout the book of Acts, we have the examples of the apostles to show us how to reach the nations today. Uh, and we're convinced now it's the Antioch church approach. Um, the mission is God's mission that he first told to Abraham. It's really very simple and very wonderful. God wants to bless all the families of the earth and all the nations. Um, and our very purpose as Christians in 2003 is to be his servants to complete his mission, the mission in our time. The mission to reach all people in all nations with the gospel. Now, having said that, I have two minutes. Okay, that I want to go back to Albania because there's something going on there that I, I just can't leave without somebody in this church knowing about. Okay, Remember all this thing I said about Albania. Okay, uh, The Lord put Albania on my heart when I was still at Master's College. We had no diplomatic relations. And when an American called... Uh, an Albanian embassy anywhere in the world and, and the switchboard operator discerned that it was an American uh, accent on the English, hung up. They were instructed. There was no contact. No American could have any contact with the country. I prayed for a way to go there. God gave me a way to go there. Actually, I was invited by the, guest, by the government as a guest, by the Ministry of Education uh, in 1991. I came back and involved Master's College. We started training public school teachers, etc. It's a long story. I, uh, after a few years of this ministry back and forth, helping them write textbooks uh, with ministry to high government officials, I needed somebody to go there. My son, Rob, who's a number of you know, uh, was trained for the Middle East. I had a burden for the Muslims. And as, as Albania was coming out from under the communists, they were going back to their 70% Muslim heritage. Uh, and I said, Rob, would you please go to Albania for me for two years until I can find somebody else? Well, Rob is now, Rob and Pam are now in their 10th year there. Uh, and God has really blessed the work. Now, up to the point where uh, they, um, they're in the process right now of finishing the renovation of the former residence of the dictator who eliminated all religion, who put in the Constitution there is no God, the new Grace Church of Tirana that is really prospering. The new home is none other than the residence of the dictator on Perhosia. Does God have a sense of humor? Is that incredible? It's right next to the... It's, and, and imagine even a Bible-preaching church being a half a block away from the prime minister's residence and, and a block away from the president's office. I'm talking president of the country, right? Right there in the heart of the capital uh, will be this thriving church moving from another location. You know, it's incredible. Pray for the gospel to go forth in Albania, the nation that was most atheistic. I believe that it is possible for little Albania to become the leading Christian nation in Europe. And because there are lots of government people, the president of the country has come to the, to the ministry, been there, been to our board meetings one time. Uh, and there's uh, just so much going on. We, Rob just recently had a training conference for the Supreme Court of Albania, can you imagine? I mean, it's just that God has just given this to this little country that was totally given over to the devil. 
pray for Albania as you pray for Russia. Our great God and Father, thank you so much for a church with such a wonderful, rich heritage. Thank you for all the missionaries that they have sent and those that uh, that are here today. Lord, I pray you'd bless them all and their families, and as they go back to their ministries, Lord, that that you would uh, you would bless their work uh, as never before. Thank you for all you're doing here. Um, thank you for Pastor Jack and uh, um, and and Lord, I I pray that that you would you would just uh, Doctor use that you would Lord that you would bless everything that he does and the elders and Lord I just pray that you would use this church as the Antioch church to turn this part of Los Angeles upside down upside down for Christ in his name I pray Amen.